Madness is here. Say goodbye to busted brackets because FanDuel lets you bet on every game of the tournament. Whether you're betting on a big upset or a one seed, it's time to go dancing on America's number one sports book. Right now, new customers get $200 in bonus bets if your first $5 bet wins on FanDuel. That's 200 bucks to use on point spreads, money lines. You can even pick who's going to win it all. Just visit FanDuel.com slash on three and bet on college hoops until they cut down the nets. Must be 21 and older and present in select states. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus. Bets that expire seven days after receipt. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino LLC. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com slash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Kentucky, Tennessee, Virginia, and Vermont. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text next step to 53342 in Arizona, 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut, 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com. Dot com in Kansas, one eight seven 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 zero stop in Louisiana. Visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland. Visit one eight hundred gambler.net in West Virginia or call one eight hundred five two two four seven zero zero in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit gambling helpline ma.org or call eight hundred three two seven fifty fifty four twenty four seven support in Massachusetts or call one eight seven seven eight hope. NY or text Hope NY in New York. At the Croc, Vanessa's kids play basketball while she unwinds in yoga. And on the way home, they always share tips. They can dunk from downward dog and make hook shots in headstands. Join more than a gym when you click the link. The Croc, get into it. And welcome in, GC Live. I am Wes Mitchell. He is Chris Clark. Coming at you on a Thursday afternoon here, GC Live, live on YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, and, of course, after the show on all the major podcast platforms. And we're on the Gamecock Central homepage, Gamecock Central message boards, and wherever you find folks, uh, share our link, which uh, you can do right now. Hit the share button or if you're on Twitter, um, you know, tweet out our YouTube. Help us out there. Uh, do support do appreciate all the support. And of course, Chris, we appreciate the support from AffordableMedicalUSA.com, making the daily show possible. They are home of the game day chair. So let's uh let's mix it up a little bit. We got a ton to talk about. Um Chris, go ahead and tell everybody, because we're gonna get rolling at some point, I got a feeling. Go ahead and tell everybody about AffordableMedicalUSA.com and how they are the home of the game day chair. Yeah, man. So they're a primary sponsor here of our daily show on GamecockCentral.com. And so AffordableMedicalUSA.com is where you can go to get more information on the game day chair. If you're on YouTube, top left-hand corner, you see a smaller picture there of the game day chair. And we're awaiting the day when we can give you an in-person look. Hopefully we'll be able to do that soon. Um, Go to their website, search for the Maxi Comfort Cloud with Twilight Technology, Power Pillow, Lumbar Support, when you're sitting down watching football on the weekend, this is the way to do it, guys and girls. So check out the game day chair. Call them at 803-926-1493. Super roomy, super comfortable chair. Really enhance your game day experience. If you like the show, make sure you show them some support too and inquire about the game day chair. It is James, it is not a lazy boy. It is actually much better than a lazy boy. So if you like lazy boy, check out the game day chair. And, uh, again, we appreciate those are the guys that have made this show daily show possible. So appreciate their support. Go check them out, AffordableMedicalUSA.com. And, obviously, a little bit of breaking news for South Carolina before we go on the air. And um, then, actually, later on in the show, this this thing's going to get rolling, y'all. So I, I got to say, I always look back at the show and I say, is that a good show? Is that a bad show? I kind of felt like yesterday's show – I wish we had had maybe a guest, uh, maybe a little more to talk about as I look back on it. But today, 
We have plenty. Chris Lee, who covers – Chris, I think you said it this way. He covers Vandy as well as anybody out there. Um, so we'll have him on at some point a little bit later on. He's going to hop in and talk a little bit about Vanderbilt. But first, uh, South Carolina landing a commitment today, actually about 1 o'clock our time, 1 o'clock Eastern. South Carolina lands a commitment from three-star wide receiver Rodarius Thomas. This is a kid, Chris, that had picked up an offer really about 10 days ago and uh, kind of a situation where South Carolina had been paying attention to him. And a lot of times, especially with the, the COVID recruiting, basically, the way things are right now, you'll sort of flag a guy, and that, that's any year, but you'll flag a guy, he's in your database, maybe you like what you saw. And most years, Chris, I got a feeling this is a guy South Carolina probably would have said, let's get him in camp and, and see what happens this summer. Well, obviously there's no camp, so you have to sort of uh, default back to looking at South Carolina's um, – you know, to a kid's senior year. So I, I think you look and you sort of say, this is a kid that's they wanted to see his senior year. They wanted to see some tape, and then they get some tape. They like what they saw, and then, boom, they offer him 10 days ago, and then um, he commits today. So, And I, I think we actually already – hey, uh, hey, Chris, if – I can already see you. I don't have you live yet. Chris, if you can hear me, and if you're ready, give us a thumbs up. You ready to roll? Okay, so we already got Chris Lee. We're going to go straight to him. Chris Lee, VandySports.com, joining us live to preview this weekend's game. Chris, uh, first of all, man, we appreciate uh, the time. Appreciate you being on. How's everything going in Nashville? We are well, uh, as you can maybe see by the hat, getting ready for first pitch of the Braves, uh, seeing what they're going to do. So exciting times here. Yeah, we're, we're the same way, man. We actually sort of snuck the show up a little bit, a little bit earlier um, today and yesterday and the day before, I guess, because of the game as well. So hopefully our Braves can, can finish this thing off. And, and obviously, Chris, two teams right now getting to South Carolina and Vanderbilt that unfortunately for, for both teams have sort of had similar starts, at least as far as the record goes. What What's sort of – the mindset with, with this Vanderbilt team right now. I, I was listening to Derek Mason. I know he was he was happy with their practices this week. It was kind of interesting. He sort of mirrored Will Muschamp's comments. He said there's some juice from the guys this week at practice. But uh, what, what's sort of the feel around this program right now as two 0-2 teams get ready to battle on Saturday? Well, their thing is the same as South Carolina. They just need a win against anybody at any time. Uh, it's been – since ETSU last year, so that's three straight. Uh, now, Carolina's losing streak is longer, but it's also been against a pretty brutal schedule. So, look, this is a team that you looked at the SP Plus rankings coming into the season. Vanderbilt was expected to be a 13-point underdog or worse in every game. Uh, when you have a bar that's set there before the season where you're not expected to be within single digits of anybody, that's a tough place to come from. Now, having said that, they go out against Texas A&M. They play A&M within five points with nobody had expected. They were a 30.5-point underdog. But, you know, look, they need to get a win somewhere. Probably the, the three best chances in a row are coming up the next three weeks for them. But in the SEC, nothing's ever easy. Uh, you know, Carolina is a 12-point favorite for a reason. But, you know, the Georgias and the Floridas and the Tennessees are on the schedule at the end of the year. So I think both teams are probably looking at this the same way because I know Carolina's got a brutal schedule coming up that, hey, if we can't get one here, um, you know, it's going to get tougher ahead. Chris, want to go big picture for you here real quick before we dive fully into the, you know, sort of individual matchup. But – what is the tone in Vanderbilt right now overall with athletics, with football? Obviously, you know, Derek Mason has been a guy who's had his job status questioned. Um, there's been some changes within the athletic department, you know, in the past couple of years. Just sort of run down sort of what the mood is right now, sort of the state of, of the program right now. It's bizarre. Um, you know, I think everybody thinks coming into the season that Derek Mason was safe. Uh, you know, and the COVID pandemic has 
given everybody an extra layer or two of job security, allegedly. I mean, we will wait and see when the season is over. But the thought was that with these crazy times and him also having a buyout that I think is $7 million at the end of this year, that it was going to be tough for them to part ways. You know, everybody has suffered financially. There's less cash to do those things. The optics of paying a guy not to coach are not great. On the other hand, you know, let's say they go through this season 0 and 10. They're coming off of 2019 where they were three and nine and all nine of those losses were by 17 points or more. So you try to convince your fan base and your recruits where the light is at the end of the tunnel. That becomes really tough to do uh, because assuming he has a losing season, guys, he's going to start his Vandy career with seven losing seasons in a row. Uh, that's Nobody survives that other, where, other than the Vandy. Um, so that's one dynamic. Now, the other one is how things have changed. A really interesting thing happened a couple of weeks ago, they brought in Tommy McClelland from Louisiana Tech. And Tommy McClelland was the AD at Louisiana Tech. He is now the deputy AD at Vanderbilt. And he's been trying to get a Power 5 AD job for a while. Um, so that has wrought a ton of questions, right? Why would you leave a pretty good job, you know, not at a Power 5 level, but I would think Louisiana Tech is one of the better non-Power 5 jobs he was successful. There were a lot of things there. So that begs the question, why did Tommy McClellan come to Vanderbilt for a demotion? What I've been hearing is he's been given charge to run the AD. I've heard that from several sources. They will never confirm that because they're very invested in Candace Lee. They have been from the beginning. They have tried to prop her up like crazy. And she has basically screwed up everything that she's touched publicly in that time. So, all that to say, I don't know that the president is really enamored with her. I don't know that he's really enamored with some of his administrators. Uh, Daniel Deermeyer, who's, who's their new president, just got there in May. And so that's the wild card in this, okay? You have this backdrop of where I think he was safe in his job, uh, but there's been a lot of fan unrest around this situation. Uh, fans have not been showing up for games when they've been allowed. And so now I'm kind of watching to see is – what does the president think? What is the guy that I've been told is effectively the AD going to think? How does that play out against the backdrop of all these crazy things, uh, not just in the AD, but in 2020? That's a long answer to your question, but it's a really complicated question at the same time. Bless your music. Excuse me, I was <laughs> muted there for a second. Um, a lot going on there. Again, we're joined by Chris Lee, VandySports.com. And Chris, so so getting into the game, I started, you know, trying to research about this Vanderbilt team a little bit. And I start reading through the offense and I realize I'm like, man, new, you know, freshman quarterback, lose a really talented running back. I see there's opt-outs on the offensive line. Talented tight end from last year is gone. Is it just and there's a new offensive coordinator on top of that? So, has this Vandy team been able to find sort of what it can lean on yet offensively, or, or sort of even what it wants to be on offense? I mean, I think South Carolina, save maybe a guy or two, has been in a similar situation offensively so far. What they're trying to figure out, you know, what can they major in? Like, what can they do well at least, and sort of focus on that part of their offense. So what have you seen just from the offense, the scheme? Um, is it completely all new guys on that side of the ball? Cause I, I know they lost a lot from last year. Yeah. I think the best way to answer that. And again, this is a little bit of a long answer, but to set the stage, they had an offensive line that last year pro football focus ranked 128 of the 130 teams in division one. Now from that, they lost their left tackle who transferred out, who was their best player probably the best player on the team, frankly. Um, they had two guys that I think would have started opt out in preseason camp, and they had Steven Spinellis, who I think would have been their super sub maybe on the offensive line. He was a grad transfer from Michigan opt out. So, again, bad situation made worse by guys opting out. Um, they are filling in with green kids, the right side of their line. I think you will see Bradley Ashmore start at right tackle. He's a true freshman who enrolled in the spring. Beside him, uh, inside at right guard, is Drew Birchmeyer. 
he was a defensive tackle his first four years at Vanderbilt and switched over in fall camp. Um, I think that kind of sets the stage here. I mean, the first week, all five of their linemen played every snap, played better than I thought, but that's factor number one. Factor number two, they don't have a lot of explosive playmaking options. I like Amir Abdul-Rahman. He got shut down last week by Derek Stingley at LSU, who is maybe the best cover corner in the country. Uh, they've got another kid in the slot, Cam Johnson, who's pretty good. Beyond that, I'm not sure they've got a proven SEC receiver on that offense. So you take the offensive line situation, you take the receiver situation, you take all the other things that you guys have brought up. Uh, then you throw in a true freshman quarterback, who I think is pretty talented, but I'm not sure Peyton Manning is going to succeed in that spot. Um, I think Ken Seals, their quarterback, is really talented. He's good with the ball. Um, I dropped the Danny Werfel comp on him earlier, and I'm not saying he's that, but like when you think about how accurate Werfel was with the ball, he might not have the strongest arm, but he had command of things, and he knew where to go with it, and he was poised. I think he's kind of in that mold of a player where he, he can usually put the ball where he wants to go, but he's very limited with what's going on around him. You go back to last week, you look at the highlights or, or just the game, it seemed like the second half was on a loop where it was – they run a play to the left if they choose to run, or when they pass, they roll them out to the right. He strings out the play as long as it will go, and he ends up winding up almost out of bounds, dumping the ball off, just getting rid of it because they didn't have guys open downfield. Um, they're just in a bad way offensively, and I don't know. I think they need to use more motion, um, maybe a little less predictability with first down runs, but it's not an envi- enviable situation no matter what you do with it from a scheme's perspective. Yeah, and as Wes alluded to there, I think a little bit of similarities there where South Carolina trying to find their footing with, you know, playmakers, you know, on the outside aside from Shy Smith at the receiver position. But, you know, I want to go back to that first game against A&M because you hit on it earlier. I don't think there was an expectation, and, and I don't know what, you know, there were some different opinions on A&M coming into this year. They don't appear to be as good as maybe some people thought, and they've certainly had some opt-outs and some things too. But first two weeks, they haven't been great. They Vanderbilt played them very close. Now, A&M had three turnovers in that game. Vanderbilt also had two turnovers. But what did you see in that contest? How was Vanderbilt able to play them you know, so closely? I think if we look back and Vanderbilt has upset someone at the end of the season, um, I think we see something similar to what they did to the Aggies. Uh, their defensive line in that game, Vanderbilt's was, was superb. They were the number one rated unit by pro football focus out of that game. Uh, their ends, Dio Odingbo and Andre Mintz, who's listed as a linebacker, but he's really an edge guy. I don't know whether you call him an end or a linebacker, but he's going to come off the edge. Those two guys caused a lot of havoc with a lot of pressures. Uh, there was a, a forced fumble or two out of those kids. Um, the defensive line, the middle of the line, played really well. And it's not something we're used to seeing from Vandy guys. I mean, when Vandy's had good defenses, they've been anchored by some good corners or some good linebackers. But rarely has it been the case where we said the defensive line is the best part of this team. They've got some kids who've shown they can play. They've got a little depth behind them. I think the recipe for them to beat anybody – is to keep the score down, to win the turnover battle, and to try to get big plays out of your line. Now, on offense, you've got to generate something at some point, and that's a problem. But I think that was kind of the best-case scenario that we saw in week one, that if they're going to have a better season than we anticipate, it's probably going to come from them being better in the trenches on the defensive side uh, than we thought, and I think that's what we saw two weekends ago. Yeah, Chris, so – as you look at that defensive side of the ball, I know a guy South Carolina fans are pretty familiar with, I think, would be Ted Roof, their defense coordinator, comes in. Um, kind of an interesting matchup there, Mike Bobo against Ted Roof. They went head-to-head. If you go back, uh, Roof was at Georgia Tech, obviously Bobo at UGA. So lots of familiarity there. How, I guess, do you sort of see that chess match and – with Roof coming in, how how much have you sort of seen him change knowing that Derek Mason is obviously always going to sort of have his finger 
on the defense and, and that scheme. How how is that sort of structured there at Vanderbilt? Much like at South Carolina, where you have Travis Robinson as the defensive coordinator, but we all know Will Muschamp still very very involved on the defensive side of the ball here. I think they've given Roof more latitude. Um, I mean, this this is opinion, right? But it mm-hmm. seems like they've done some more things with the pressures. They'd like to bring it up the A-gap a good bit. I don't know that they did that as much last week. I'd have to go back and look. You will see defensive backs coming off the edges some. They've done that some in the past, but it seems like they've taken the idea that we need to be more aggressive. Um, I think Roof was a fantastic hire. I mean, you look at his track record. And he has done well just about everywhere he's been. I was frankly very surprised that they were able to get him um, out of Appalachian State, which I know they had a coaching change. But Ted Roof's a guy that's, you know, what, I think he was the defensive coordinator when Auburn won a national title. Um, mm-hmm. That was a big hire for them. I think he's made them better. I, I don't know if their defense is going to be closer to what we saw um, in week one or week two. But I think the thing that LSU did that gave them problems LSU, despite all the graduations at receivers, still has kids like Terrence Marshall who can make plays downfield. They are not the fastest bunch in the back seven. Um, And I think that really gave them headaches. They have not tackled very well at times in their secondary. So I think if I'm looking at this game from a Carolina perspective, I'm trying to beat them downfield in the passing game because we saw LSU do it. Um, it, teams have also been able to break off some big runs against them. And then, again, once you get in a foot race with them, they're having trouble winning those or, or making basic tackles and taking angles. So to me, if I'm Carolina, I try to push the field a little bit, push them downfield, because a week ago that worked really well for LSU. And that'll be a fascinating storyline now that you mention that, because South Carolina's had trouble you know, creating explosive plays down the field. I think uh, – what was the stat, West? I think it was – you know, seven or eight downfield throws really this year, twenty over 20 yards. I mean, South Carolina just trying to find some answers there. And also and only one South, of them has hit. And so. only one of them's hit, right. And yeah. so and, and South Carolina similarly in the secondary had some issues on some explosive plays against Tennessee in the passing game and, and certainly against Florida in the passing game too. So I, w- I was going to hit on that in terms of the explosive plays. Ha- has Vanderbilt shown – we know defensively against A&M and LSU, they have been susceptible to some longer runs, to some longer passes. Offensively, have they shown any firepower in that regard or have them, their drives been a little bit more methodical? I know that they were pretty good against A&M. I think they were 7 for 17 on third down. You know, What have you seen from their drives and their potential explosiveness on offense? Well, this is where offensive lines and receivers – and quarterback play work hand in hand, right? If your quarterback has about two seconds to throw, it becomes harder for your receivers to separate. If your receivers, and I think they've got two that are SEC caliber, like they could play in the rotation of five or six for most teams, uh, when you don't have guys, multiple guys who can get open downfield and your quarterback is running for your life, that's a really bad combination. Um, The upshot of that is – They've had one play of 40 yards or more. That was exactly 40 yards. That was when Cam Johnson caught one between the hash marks. It was probably a 10-yard throw, and I'm going to guess he ran the other 30. Other than that, their longest play from scrimmage was Amir Abdul-Rahman catching, I think, a 26 or a 27-yarder in the opener. Uh, So just not a lot of ability to generate explosive plays. Uh, I think where Carolina will have an edge in this is just general overall athleticism and speed. You know, and when you look back to the matchups, guys, sometimes we come into these games and it looks like it's a decently even matchup on paper, but then you put the teams on the field and Carolina's just got more athletes. I remember I'll give you a great example. Uh, Brian Edwards a couple years back uh, just seemed like he just ate them to death. And I, I looked over and I said, they don't have a lot of kids on that sideline that can do what he did. I think that's going to be where Carolina is going to have the edge because I just worry about their athleticism at the corners, at the receivers, uh, and I just think that's hard to work around. Chris, I, I know um, – I, I think from what I read, Vanderbilt was missing some guys. Even a kid I'm, I'm really familiar with, uh, Jalen Mahoney, who um, is from right down the road, Rock Hill, outstanding kid. Uh, saw him play several times in high school. Um, I think he missed game one, and I, I believe he's supposed to be back. Are, are there some injury-wise or even COVID-wise? I don't, I don't know what Vandy is putting out there. Um, I know here you, you don't really get much on, on the injuries. Um, 
anymore, the COVID stuff anymore, but who uh, that Vandy may have missed week one is coming back this week, or, or are we just not sure on that stuff? Well, they didn't have Dimitri Moore in week one. He's a preseason All-SEC linebacker. His name popped up as a late first-rounder, maybe a mid-first-rounder in some preseason drafts. Now, he's not played to that level, but the, the scouts, I guess, think he's got that kind of potential. They got him back for LSU. <laughs> I'm not going to say he didn't make a difference, but they went from allowing 17 points to allowing 41, so it didn't make enough of a difference for sure. I guess they just sprung leaks other places. You mentioned Jalen Mahoney. They missed him a week ago. I don't know what the situation is this week. It sounds like, if I recall, that he hinted that he'll be back. Mahoney graded as their best corner, uh, if you include the nickel guys last year, by Pro Football Focus. And it was in about 350 snaps. And mm-hmm. to be honest, it wasn't a group that was outstanding. So, uh, But still, to come in in the SEC, we've all seen guys that were future NFL corners that looked horrible as true freshmen. I sit up and take note when a corner plays that well that early. Uh, when they did not have him a week ago, they went to Elijah Hamilton, who's a fifth-year senior. Hamilton graded the worst on the team. Uh, he got completely turned around by Marshall on a 51-yard touchdown pass where he was in position to make a tackle and just didn't. Um, I think, to me, that's the key one is to, if they get Mahoney back, uh, LSU really exploited them in that nickel spot a week ago. Uh, and I think – he would make a big difference if he's able to return. Chris, I think the last thing I've got for you personally is, uh, you know, weather considerations is something that we've gotten some questions about. So I'm going to have you put on your meteorologist hat and uh, take you out of your element a little bit. Have you heard anything on your end in terms of uh, weather there, if that will, you know, precipitate any change, no no pun intended, um, or anything like that? Well, I'm I'm going to my top secret uh, intelligence here at weather.com. And the uh, sorry, for some reason, I look like I'm in the witness protection program here for a minute with the lighting. But um, this says it is going to be a high of 73, a low of 66 and rain. I don't know at what point that's expected. Um, but anyway, that is what the forecast is calling from at kickoff. I don't know what that looks like. Now, it's not rain here in about a week. Uh, and we get in spells it seems like we'll go two weeks without rain. Uh, I don't know if that will carry forward or not. But it looks like it'll be at least cooler weather, uh, which will be very nice. Chris, you I mean, you've sort of alluded to it throughout, but uh, just to put a bow on it, do you have and I, I know some people give predictions, some people don't, but just how, do you have a feel for how you think this game is going to play out on Saturday? I just don't think they can score, guys. And Carolina has allowed what is it? Um 28 points the last three years. It's something like that. Uh, I, I just always feel like they get in that game, other than the one when Kyle Shermer was here, and they struggle to score. I remember Jadavian Kinlaw just wrecking them. Or Javian Kim, Javon Kinlaw, excuse Javon, me. Yeah. I'm, I'm mixing him up with other great Carolina. Yeah, we thank God we've got him in Nashville now, by the way. But <laughs> I, they just always seem to have answers. Um, they're two defensive-minded coaches – Carolina's always get better talent. Um, you know, this game, Carolina has not lost to Vandy since 08. And the average margin of victory in that span, I think, is 11.3 points. So it's been closer than that win streak has kind of indicated. But I, I don't know. I just don't think Vanderbilt has got the overall athleticism and speed to win the game. Um, the 12-point line to me, and I'm not seeing Carolina like you guys have, and I know they've got their issues Carolina recently under Muschamp just seems to save its best for them. Um, I don't know. I'm having a hard time seeing Vanderbilt scoring more than, than say, 14 or 17 points. Um, I'm questioning which defense is the real one. Um, I don't know. I I think the 12-point line is about right. There's some things on paper where I think it looks like it might be an okay matchup for Vanderbilt, but I just see these teams – face off year to year and the better athletes have won. And I think that'll be the case this year too. Chris, uh, great insight, man. We really appreciate the time. I know you're busy. So thanks for joining the show and um, enjoy the game on Saturday, man. And I, now are, are um, y'all, y'all are still able to go in at least, right? I know that the fans are, are, are not at all, I guess. Uh, well, uh, they were allowing five media credentials on the home side, and so far we have been shut out the first two weeks. Uh, even though we have covered them, 
I, I've personally covered them longer than everybody who was in the press box put together Saturday. It'll be the same way this week. I'm, I'm told it's purely coincidental that it has nothing to do with our criticism of the athletic department. But, um, you know, it's funny that uh, there, we're on a rotation, um, and yet the people who were there the first week are there the second week, um, and you're, you're cutting out your longest credentialed media members. I, I've, I've never been denied a credential in 18 years anywhere, and so we're 0 for 2 this year. Um, like I said, it's a, wow. it's a very strange climate around that program, um, and I think there's probably a reason – uh, that Chancellor Daniel Deermeyer has made some changes pretty quickly. Uh, by wow. the way, the LSU Rivals guys did get credentialed last week. So uh, they credentialed the Rivals site for the opponent, but not not their own. Wow. Sorry, I, I was just assuming, but that's um, – I don't even know what to say to that. Yeah, uh, I've, I've always assumed too, uh, but nothing surprises me these days. I'm, I'm, it is 2020. I'm with you. Well, Chris, we again, man, we appreciate it. Um, stay safe out there, and uh, hopefully we'll talk to you soon, okay? Always a pleasure. You guys do a wonderful job at your sites, and uh, keep up the great work. Appreciate Thanks, that. Guys. And if you're if you're a South Carolina fan on here, go to VandySports.com. You want to read more from the Vanderbilt perspective. I think even Chris has um, a write-up over there as well, um, giving them the South Carolina perspective. Chris Clark, I mean. So um, go check them out. That is VandySports.com. Chris Lee, appreciate it, man. Have a good one, okay? You too. Thanks, Chris. All right, so good stuff there, and I, I tell you, first of all, Chris, Chris Clark, I didn't realize sort of um, how weird things are, sort of behind the scenes at Vanderbilt right now, right? Like yeah. that. Well, that's a, that, that's a mess. It is, and that's one reason why. Well, first of all, even if that wasn't going on, Chris would be our guy to come on here because, as he said, he's covered it longer than anybody on that beat combined. And uh, he, he's always done an awesome job, has great sourcing around that program. But an- that was another reason why my leadoff question was I wanted to sort of tee up some of that stuff for Chris to, to talk about because I've talked with him a little bit behind the scenes just in some of our phone conversations, and I thought it was pretty fascinating. And so I wanted him to spill it, and I knew he would spill it as only he could. Uh, he, he pulls no punches when he's talking about it. Hey, he didn't give a – we're going to keep yeah. this show um... – not explicit, but mm-hmm. he didn't give, you know, he didn't care. He, he let it ride. So that, that was pretty cool. I, I like yep. that. Um, by the way, we had somebody mention that I did get a haircut and I want, before I forget, I got to throw a shout out to my boy, Burt Williams, one of my best friends in the world who's getting married tomorrow. Um, Friday evening wedding. Yeah. Round of applause. I'm, I got my pre wedding haircut. I'm gonna be in the wedding, so I don't. I know he sometimes listens to us um, or goes back and watches us on YouTube. So if Bert's listening, uh, congrats, buddy! I'll see you later on today. Um, so before we had Chris Lee on, we were talking about Rodarius Thomas, new wide receiver commit for South Carolina. So let's go back into that. I'm gonna play his highlights at some point as well. If you are only listening, you don't have the video version of the show. You can check out his highlights. I'll post them on GamecockCentral.com. But so, Chris, earlier this afternoon, Thursday afternoon, South Carolina lands a commitment from three-star wide receiver Rodarius Thomas, a uh, a kid that really South Carolina had just offered ten days ago. And Chris, from what I was told, he he goes public obviously today, but all it took was about two days for him to go ahead and call up the staff and commit behind the scenes, took advantage of having the offer committed right away. And this is someone, Chris, that I I think you look there. I mean, the staff, the guys in that building, they're seeing the same things the rest of us are seeing, particularly with the wide receiving core. Right. I mean, I think this is a situation where you just keep, you keep pushing you keep trying to get guys in who could potentially help with the receivers next year. They already have some guys committed, but I think you look, they sort of flagged him this summer as a guy to watch. There's some impressive film out there on him from the first few games. He uh, had about, I think, around 600 yards receiving, eight touchdowns, uh, touchdown receptions in the first five games of the season. They offer him, and then Rodarius Thomas very quickly 
uh, jumps on that offer with a commitment. So here's here's more of a general point before you know we dive in maybe a little bit more to his game is that the recruiting game itself has been so different for us for these kids for these coaches, and so every year, you know, in June we're covering ten camp days uh, of Muschamp's football camp in Columbia. There are thousands of kids that roll through, and there are I don't know what's a good number, Wes, a hundred or so maybe 150 that we're really keeping a close eye on because it's either a guy that we already know about from the 21 class, a new guy that emerges, um, you know, guys from 22, 23, 24 that we'd be seeing this year that already have offers or will pick up offers after camp. So we didn't have that. We didn't have a spring evaluation period. Coaches are doing all that stuff remotely. So like you said earlier, to go back to your point, Thomas is a guy that we probably would have seen in camp this summer. Um, But Nobody has that benefit. And so whether it's analysts, college coaches, people like us, um, it's a little bit harder to get a read on guys. And everybody's flying a little bit more blind. And so there have been some kids that, you know, rankings are still important in terms of fans. Look at them. If you sign a bunch of five stars, a bunch of four stars, you got a better chance of being good. But take them with a little bit more of a grain of salt this year because, you know, nobody's seen – as many kids this summer. So um, Thomas isn't a guy we've been able to see in person or the Gamecock staff in a, in like a camp setting this summer, but he's a bigger kid who's put together well, that runs pretty well for his size and has shown solid hands and, and physicality. And, you know, anybody that they can add to that core that can bring those attributes that may be able to help next season is, is something you go for at this point where the program is. Yeah. And I, I think that's, that's sort of it, man. If you can, if you can bring in a guy who you think can possibly help, um, you, you sort of have to do it. And I, I think it goes back to, to needs. And um, you have to sort of follow your needs and, and do what you have to do. And those of you who are on, watching on video right now can, can see some of the highlights so far from this year. But, Chris, this is a kid. For one, I was told 6'2", 190, maybe even a little bit more. Very well put together. Uh, Chad Simmons, who does a great job covering a lot of the Southeast for for arrivals, and our our good friend, he went and saw him in person. Said, uh, you know, he's every bit of that. He's easily six two, maybe even six two and a half. So that sort of gives you an idea off the hoof of uh, of what type of player he is, just from a size standpoint. And then, you know, someone that, from what we were told, has only played a couple of years of football, has a basketball background, which I think we've seen South Carolina have success with kids that have that basketball background and are good basketball players because it translates. And there's some ball skills here that I think certainly that's something South Carolina, if you're looking right now, that they're lacking in the receiving core. So he's a high upside guy, which obviously is a bit of a cliche. We love to throw the cliches at you here on the show. But just being someone who has not really played a lot of football but does have the basketball background and has some size to him um, is someone obviously South Carolina decided to, to go out there and, and take a chance on and, and bring in. He is a three-star kid on Rivals.com right now. I would say watching the tape, that's, uh, that's probably about right. Um, you know, That's probably where I would have him, maybe a mid-three-star guy. But um, someone, again, anytime you have ba- a basketball player and a kid who hadn't played a lot of football, you – you sort of take your chances on those guys, I think, Chris. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, limited experience overall in terms of football, you know, like you said, two years playing. So he's someone that you feel like can continue to grow, develop. He's already physically, you know, from a physical standpoint, pretty advanced with the size and the way he's put together. Um, you know, so in terms of route running and those things, he can, he's got room to improve and, and get better like the way he catches the ball, you know, he competes with the ball in the air. You know, he's a hand catcher. He's not cradling things. He doesn't fight the ball. Looks pretty natural catching the ball. So, um, you know, they they send him on a lot of screens here and, and let him go catch the ball and try to go run after the catch. So, I mean, he's not someone that in the SEC is going to be running away from defenders, right? But um, what South Carolina needs is some guys who can, you know, run in Mike Bobo's scheme, catch the football reliably. You know, I mean, that's, that's a good, honestly, a good starting point, right? And so when you look at this guy, he brings some of those attributes on film. And, 
he's someone that uh they, they seem to be pretty pretty high on at this point, you know. Um different different offensive staff has a different look, you know, because of Mike Bobo at offensive coordinator, Joe Cox involved with the wide receivers now coming over with Bobo from Colorado State. So um, a little bit, you know, one could one could say of some different eyeballs on on some of the guys that have been on the board. Yeah, that that catch he made about 15 seconds ago, probably the best play on this entire little block of film, a one-handed grab in the end zone. Rodarius, you probably should put that play first, my friend. Uh, they always say put your best play first. But uh, it does com- compete well, runs hard, has a little bit of like, – like you said, I don't think he's a speed burner, but he does have some run after the catch in the fact that he has some balance to him, he has some size to him, and um, – I think maybe just watching the tape has some some competitive edge, which Carolina always obviously considers and um, goes out there and, and fights for yardage, I think. So that's Rodarius Thomas, brand-new South Carolina commitment, a kid that they're obviously high on, and we'll certainly see if he can come in and play early because obviously if you look at the big picture here, they, they're going to need it. So um, and it, He's kind of got just watching it, and I haven't even watched all this film until right now talking to you guys. He does sort of glide. He's got a little bit of that long strider to him when he when he's running deep. So um, we'll see. We'll see. But brand new commitment, Rodarius Thomas. There you see him right there, guys. Um, let, let's continue a little bit into recruiting, Chris, because we had a question. We talked about Keon Coleman yesterday. Talk a little bit more about him now. And he's someone I would say South Carolina is in the game with, but – you know, I also I'm looking on Twitter, and I'm seeing ever since the decommitment from Kansas, Southern Cal takes another look at him and uh, offers him. I think TCU offered today. I mean, there the the competition for Keon Coleman is going to continue to rise. I think, and he's someone I, I really think South Carolina would take regardless any time. But I, I think. They saw a chance to snag a guy here with Rodarius Thomas, so you're going to go ahead and take him, and then you continue to recruit a kid like Keon Coleman, who I would say probably would be the the most athletically gifted guy South Carolina would land in this class as far as receivers go if they can somehow pull that off. Yeah, and I got that same question. Is, you know, Did Thomas jump in because of Coleman, or did – South Carolina not feel as good about Coleman, so they took Thomas. And really, it was just like you said, it was an opportunity where they had a guy that they liked and wanted to take, and had the opportunity to get him. Coleman's someone that really Joe Cox has built a good relationship there with Coleman. Uh, they've stayed in touch ever since his commitment to Kansas. I know some people are probably wondering Kansas, you know, but big hoops element originally when he committed to Kansas. Kansas recruits that area in Louisiana. Uh, pretty often and so there's a pretty heavy element of that and you know felt like he rushed into it and so South Carolina's kept in contact throughout you know even since he committed and Keon has even said that he's been open to others you know and and so he formally backs off his commitment not a big surprise this day and age in recruiting West that once a guy does that schools are going to take another look like you said Southern Cal TCU so we'll see where it goes you know he felt like he rushed into his decision so how does he go about it now I think that's a key question you know, is he going to be able to go take some visits at some point? We don't really know that yet. Is he going to rely on virtual visits? Is he going to eventually feel more comfortable with South Carolina because he knows the staff? We'll just have to see. But it sounds like a guy that they want to continue, you know, recruiting in this class. And that I, I think they – and I, I don't know how much the conversations with him continued as far as how much he was reciprocating it. But from from everything we had heard, even with the commitment to Kansas – I think South Carolina did everything they could to remain in touch and, and make sure that he knew he was wanted at, at South Carolina. This is a guy that's been a big target for them from the very beginning and will continue to be so. So, all right, let's turn it back to Vanderbilt this game a little bit before we get out of here and talk a little bit about what we learned from Chris Lee and how it sort of factors in to this actual game. First of all, Chris – Clark, I would say Chris Lee does not would not be picking Vanderbilt to win this game. And I think for, forget even about all the behind the scenes stuff, but this is a Vanderbilt offense, man, that struggled 
to do much against South Carolina last year. And as I said earlier, they lost their quarterback. They lost um, – who was the kid at running back last year? Was it Vaughn that Keyshawn transferred Vaughn. him? Keyshawn Vaughn. He's gone. They had the big, talented kid at tight end. Jared He's Pink. gone. Yep. Um, the receivers, most of them are gone. And then what apparently was – I didn't realize the worst offensive line – in the history of football last year, it sounded like. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they're all gone, which actually may be a good thing if you're, if you're Vanderbilt. But yeah. I didn't realize their best player also played on that on the offensive line and is gone as well. And by the way, to circle back, again, a true freshman quarterback who has to deal with all that around him. So – have had there been problems for South Carolina defensively so far? Yes. We also have to remember, I think we always get sort of locked in to looking at things from a South Carolina perspective. Football ultimately is a matchup game. So Florida can make you look really bad on defense, especially through the air. Now, the other side of this, from a matchup perspective, it really sounds like South Carolina's defense should be able to hold Vanderbilt to a relatively low-scoring day on Saturday. The other side of that, Chris, is that do- that doesn't mean everything's fixed for Carolina's defense. So just because you gave up 38 points to Florida doesn't mean you're awful on defense, but just because you give up, let's say, 13 points this Saturday doesn't mean everything's fixed either. But at least from a matchup standpoint, knowing what I know about Carolina's defense, knowing what Chris Lee tells us about Vanderbilt's offense, I can't see Vanderbilt scoring a bunch of points on Saturday unless it's just something flukish or a special teams, you know, or a pick six, something like that. It just doesn't seem like that matchup goes very well for Vandy. Yeah. So the first two weeks, we were able to go, I won't say able, not as if we wanted to. It's just the story. We we went into the Tennessee game and went into the Florida game discussing areas of concern for the Gamecock defense, right? And so against Tennessee, it was a, a, a veteran quarterback in Jarrett Garantano who does not turn the ball over a lot. I think he went in with 2% interception rate on his passes, which is the lowest in Tennessee history. A big, talented offensive line with some experience two good backs, and a really good offensive coordinator in Jim Chaney. Then you go to week two, and it was Dan Mullen, a, a, a veteran offensive line for Florida. I don't think it's as good of a group as Tennessee, but has experience. Oh, Kyle Trask, who's like second or third in Heisman odds right now. And, um, and Chris, way better. Kyle Trask is awesome. Yeah. He's way better than I ever gave him credit for. Yeah, honestly. yeah, he's a, he's a really good player. Um Kadarius Tony in space, Kyle Pitts running back. I mean, they've got really good players from a matchup standpoint. Their quarterback's really good, and then they can cause some issues schematically. And so we saw that's not to say that what we saw the first two weeks was good, but it is saying those were difficult matchups, especially Florida. And we saw some of those things play out. So I'm contrasting that with this week where you go in and you say, what are the really concerning areas? the concerning things that Vandy brings, you don't see as many, right? I mean, and Chris laid all that out. So for South Carolina, in my view, this game, your nightmare scenario in this game is something like turning the ball over a bunch offensively, giving Vandy short fields. We saw that against A&M. You know, that Vandy got a touchdown off of an A&M fumble in their own territory, I think. Um, you know, it, it's – it's losing a guy in coverage when he shouldn't. It's not capitalizing on a, an opportunity to create a turnover. Things like that. It's not as much, man, can they handle all this skill that Vandy brings or can they handle this senior quarterback? It's not as much that. So it does become a little bit more. I mean, look, maybe Vandy lines up and they they whip South Carolina. That would be a surprise. But just from what I'm projecting going into this game, I think it's much more South Carolina limiting their chances offensively and, and just playing sound football and being in position. And they should be okay if they can do that. Yes. Yeah, so let's go to the other side. I, I do think comparatively the Vanderbilt defense is more talented, more 
set up for success than the Vanderbilt offense. Again, offense lost pretty much everybody from last year. Vandy, uh, like he said, they bring back a few guys that have gotten some second and third team All-SEC designations. They have two edge guys that I I think if I'm going to circle a a single key to the game for Carolina, or, or one of maybe the three keys as I put in our newsletter today, it would be the Vandy edge guys against the South Carolina offensive tackles. It, it feels like, and, and certainly not that all pressures are created equal, not that all pressures are on the offensive line, but South Carolina has given up eight sacks in two games. It didn't feel, for I don't know about you, Chris, it didn't feel like they gave up as many sacks as they did at Florida, but, but they did. Mm-hmm. So I looked, man. Four of those eight are from, at least if you look at pro football focus and how they credited the pressures and the sacks, came at least against the right tackle. Now, was was there another missed block there? Were some of them on the quarterback? Potentially. But at least as far as the right tackle not blocking somebody, that's a position we've seen South Carolina consistently talk about needing to be better at. So I say these Vandy edge rushers, against South Carolina's offensive tackles, probably one of the most important matchups going into this game for South Carolina because if they can handle that, this might actually be a team where the receivers not named Shy Smith can get open downfield, can actually catch some balls and build confidence, right? Because right now, those guys don't look to me like they're playing with a ton of confidence and the only way to build confidence is to go have things go your way in a game and then build off of it. Yeah, and I think running the football is going to be huge in this one. Um, you know, we, we saw more success second half Tennessee, really all game at Florida. Not that it was an elite rushing attack, but Kevin Harrison, Deshaun Fenwick are, are doing a nice job. I mean, uh, running the football, maybe Zaquandre White gets some opportunities. You don't want to get – you know, against any team, but especially, you know, against Vanderbilt to play to their strengths. The front seven appears to be, you know, a strength of this team. They've got some edge rush guys, as Chris Lee laid out. So you don't want to get in third and eight, third and nine, third and ten. And, you know, without a true receiving threat other than Shai Smith, put yourself in those bad situations. And again, you don't want to put them in a short field either. So I think running a ball is a key. You know, I go back to that A&M matchup that Vanderbilt had, man. That was a weird game. Like, I don't know if you've gone back and watched some of that game or looked at the box score. You know, Texas A&M ran for 6.8 yards a carry. Uh, they passed for 6.8 yards an attempt. But they, they turned the ball over three times. One of them was on a short field. They just they sputtered out a couple times here and there. But they were able to create some explosive plays and, and ended up leaving there with a win. Uh that's the sort of, again, I'll go back to that nightmare scenario for South Carolina. Originally, I thought, well, if they can't run the ball effectively, it could turn into that. A&M ran the ball pretty effectively. I think they had 168 yards or so on the ground. So you look at what they did, and it was a pretty good day. It was the turnovers. And so I think that's really, really what they've got to avoid um, to avoid an upset. Yeah, you, you just if you're a Carolina fan, you got to hope this is a game that goes much more like the trip down there you know, a couple of years ago as opposed to the trip Carolina's actually Will Muschamp's first game, and it was just a low scoring, just just drag out. (laughs) Carolina has to, you know, what, score a touchdown and then a field goal late to win the game, and just not much went right offensively. And then two years ago, Carolina goes down there and – Look, pro- probably played their most complete game of the year, I would say. I remember Bentley throwing dimes in that game, and I remember Javon Kinlaw um, just absolutely dominating uh, Vanderbilt. So we'll, we'll see how this one plays out. I actually, looking back, Chris, I thought Carolina had as good of an offensive game plan against Vanderbilt last year as they had all year because that, that was a game where they were very close to actually being able to explode and, and put up some big numbers. I remember Brian Edwards having a great game. Um, they did some good things to scheme him open last year against Vanderbilt. Obviously, Brian Edwards ain't walking through that door, but probably an opportunity there for the offense to to sort of get right, if you will. So 
All right. I let's see. We don't have much time left. Um had a question here from Bart that we'll hit. Chris, I'll let you take this one. Do you think they'll put Roderick closer to the line of scrimmage? Um let him play the run and let Izzy, Jamie, Shiloh deal with the passing game at safety with Horn and Dixon at cornerback. So that sounds like based on I'm not good at math, but that looks like, you know, you're mentioning six guys, so I assume on the field together. And so that would be Roderick at that dime spot, I, I assume is what he's projecting there. Um, so, yeah, I mean, we did see that some. We did see Roderick play close to the line. I, I remember, Wes, in your tail of the tape with Florida, you uh, threw up, um, you know, a, a screenshot that you had up there where Roderick – yeah, here you go. So this is a this is a package where Roderick's up closer to the line. Um and so we could see some iterations of that. Now, one thing, one question I have is, is Jamar Brown going to be back? If he's in there, you know, he could be a dime player. But we see whether it's nickel or whether it's dime, sometimes mm-hmm. South Carolina is going to roll that safety down to the box or sometimes they're going to roll the dime player down to the box or sometimes they'll drop either or both of those guys, uh, both of those guys back. So that is one storyline in the game, man, is how is South Carolina going to handle the secondary you know, there are some questions with that of McQuamu, how much corner, how much safety. Will Jalen Dickerson play more at safety because he seemed to play pretty well the first couple weeks? Will Jamar Brown be back? All these are questions that really are still there going into the game. What Maybe Will Muschamp sheds a little bit more light on it tonight during his call-in show, um, but we'll just have to see. Yeah, and I, I expect a lot, a lot more three linebackers. Uh, that means Brad Johnson on the field and – Vandy, watching them against LSU, some more two tight ends than most teams are going to play. Uh, they're going to sort of stack in there, pack in there, and tighten up, uh, you know, as opposed to going all spread. But I, I did think that was interesting. They they like to roll the quarterback out. and You know, Chris Lee took it a step farther. He was like, man, the entire second half was like a run to the left or a roll out to the right, which just – I mean, I, I know they're, they're rolling. They have the deck stacked against them, but – that ain't going to cut it uh, in the SEC against anybody. So we'll see. All right, Chris, you got any final thoughts, man? That's all I've got today, man. Good, good show, good insight from Chris Lee. Appreciate everybody jumping on board and participating as always. Yep, uh, that's going to do it for the show. Uh, appreciate everybody joining us as always. Love all the uh, the comments. We've got, we got some great uh, discussions and arguments and all kinds of stuff going on over here in the chat. So, uh, but, but we appreciate everybody joining and giving their opinions and um, I'm sure I missed some questions along the way but obviously this was more of a guest driven episode but we of course uh, will be back soon and appreciate everybody joining us obviously check out GamecockCentral.com subscribe on YouTube like us on Facebook and then uh, subscribe on all the podcast platforms whichever one you prefer for Chris I'm Wes we will see you soon madness is here Say goodbye to busted brackets because FanDuel lets you bet on every game of the tournament. Whether you're betting on a big upset or a one seed, it's time to go dancing on America's number one sportsbook. Right now, new customers get $200 in bonus bets if your first $5 bet wins on FanDuel. That's $200 to use on point spreads, money lines. You can even pick who's going to win it all. Just visit FanDuel.com slash on3 and bet on college hoops until they cut down the nets. Must be 21 and older and present in select states. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus. Bets that expire seven days after receipt. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino LLC. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com slash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Kentucky, Tennessee, Virginia, and Vermont. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text next step to 53342 in Arizona, 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat. In Connecticut, 1-800-9-WITH-IT. In Indiana, 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com. 
Com in Kansas, 1-877-770-STOP in Louisiana. Visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland. Visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net in West Virginia or call 1-800-522-4700 in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit gamblinghelplinema.org or call 800-327-5050 for 24-7 support in Massachusetts or call 1-877-8-HOPE. NY or text Hope NY in New York.